You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. Lack of understanding. Um, I was reading through the, the one-year Bible and come across the passage where the parents of Jesus, young Jesus, had stayed behind, and we're going to see that passage, he stayed behind in the temple to talk to the lawyers or those who were, who were the educated, and he amazed them at his understanding. But with all of his understanding and all that he comprehended and all the intelligent questions that he was asking that wowed even those that were the educated in the law, uh, his parents had not a clue what was going on. They did not understand, and it caught my eye. And I started thinking about all the places in the Bible that people just don't understand. And as I reviewed all the places in the Bible that people didn't understand, I found that I was guilty of all seven categories. That sometimes I just don't know. And I think if there were one blanket statement I could make concerning the value of this message to you, it's to dispel the lie and the deception that comes upon us that makes us believe we need to know everything. We don't need to know everything. And there's a lot that we don't know, and it's up to him to reveal or not reveal. And so, as I started looking into this, particularly that word phrase of someone not understanding and a lack of understanding, I found easily these seven categories of things. And in introduction, I want to begin by making a statement. You know, Jesus wants to reveal more and more to us in John 8, 8, it says, When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he had been sharing the parable of the sower. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. It's interesting to see that Jesus, with his disciples, wanted the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom to be exposed to them, but to others not so much. Meaning that there are things revealed and there are things that are not revealed, and Jesus is in control of those things. But to his own, those that are close to him, he in fact wants to reveal more and more to us. He wants to open our eyes. There's an enlightenment that comes in our journey with Christ when we take his hand. He leads us, he guides us. The more time we spend in intimate social gathering with him that is in church, in prayer, in our private devotion, the more he will reveal to us. Incrementally, he will pull back the blinds uh, with, with, with greater degree as we stay focused on him. Another statement I'll say in the introduction is this. We are in a process of transformation yet to be completed. We know that we're his workmanship created for good works, but we also see that we are progressively learning things, but there's a lot that we don't know. And 1 Corinthians 13, 9 says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, oh, that sounds so exciting. <laughs> I can't wait for completeness to come. Oh, because I feel so incomplete, you know? I mean, I wake up every morning feeling like uh, I'm a four-wheel car with only three wheels. You know, there always seems to be some type of uh, vacuous space in me that is empty, and I'm always looking to fill it. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And so that when I was a child, Paul says to the Corinthians, I talked like a child. 
I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the, the, the ways of childhood behind me. And of course, he's speaking this in a spiritual context, in prophecy, in knowledge, in completeness, in a spiritual development. And so he's comparing it to the chronological uh, aging of man, saying that when I was a child, there were certain things that I understood or did not understand, and certain things that I could do or think or perceive or comprehend. But when I grew older, I expanded and I grew. So he's speaking about spiritual development. And the old ways of simplicity we put away because we embraced the new. But however, even with all this, we're in a process. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture because in light of the fact that Jesus knows everything about us there is to know, including the number of the hairs on our head in their serial number. I mean, there's nothing he knows. He is accountable to the Father with every cell of his own. And we are his own. Bought. We are purchased. And so he holds us precious in his hands and he gives account to the Father about us and he prays for us and he protects us and he covers us and there will be a time that we will know him as well as he knows us right now. I'm excited. That's the completeness that this is talking about. But while here on earth, um, I need to be patient. I need to wait for myself to grow. I'm not there yet. We're on our way. And as a result of this onward and progressive transformation, we will often not have an understanding of things. And we should be careful not to form a mentality that states that we need to have complete understanding of all things in order to be successful in Christ. And somehow we have decided that the acquisition of knowledge, and we know the Bible says knowledge puffs up, that the acquisition of spiritual knowledge and revelation will in fact make us more successful. But really our success once again is not built upon what we know, it's built upon what he knows about us and what he's done for us, the work of the cross again. It's simply not true that we, we, have, that we need to understand everything to really appreciate or receive what God has for us. And the challenge in Christian life is knowing how to accept the things that we cannot comprehend and follow the Lord anyway, whether we understand it or not, whether we get the full picture or not. And we're going to see that in Scripture. Now, this is not easy to do if you are the kind of person that likes to maintain control of your life. You have control issues. If you are, are anal retentive and you like everything just so, and you want everything in order, I've known people that are extreme. I know my pastor's daughter, her name Rebecca, and she would not take this as an insult. She still owns the same pencil box that she had in first grade, and it is still in pristine condition. That's the kind of person that she is. Now, of course, she's married with children now in, in, in her 40s, but what's amazing is she still has that pencil box. She was always like that. Her corner of the room, because she shared it with her sisters, because they had eight children, uh, I took care of them, and her corner of the room was spotless. It was immaculate, and things were put just right in order. Her erasers, everything was perfect. And some people are like that. They just like to maintain control. And those are the ones that will find the greatest challenge in living in the kingdom life, because there's so much we don't know, being that we don't see the whole picture. We just see a part of it. The losing of our lives to the will of the Father requires that we rest in His hands, especially 
when we do not fully grasp the reasons of the seasons of life. We don't get what's going on. We don't always understand what God's up to. But we need to trust Him. We need to rest. And really, this message is about that. And we're going to see seven areas in which we are commonly lacking understanding. So seven areas of common misunderstanding. In some of these cases, we can take steps to gain an understanding. We can grow and step out of our ignorance. And some of these things that we're going to see, we'll see that we, do, we don't have any control over at all. Now, it's one thing not to read your Bible and then not know. Well, that's just that's self-imposed ignorance, which is technically stupidity. If you read the Bible, then you can educate yourself and you will get understanding of that. You will get knowledge and understanding. Proverbs is full of uh, admonitions to do exactly that. Make sure that you get it, that you treasure that. And that comes through Bible reading. So there's a lot that we can learn through our studies and through our focus. But there are some areas that we just are going to be ignorant no matter how hard we try. And I want to discuss these areas as well as all the areas of misunderstanding that are most common to us. Amen? Number one, we misunderstand God's will for others. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to discern the will of God for my life. Me trying to figure out the will of God for your life, or you trying to figure out the will of God for my life, it's a dangerous game that has caused many pitfalls in the Christian life along the road. Because pastors, leaders, prophets, evangelists, you name it, sometimes meaning well, we decide to dictate to a believer what the will of God is for their life. Very dangerous. Because when we do prescribe such a life and detail it and lay down a path for them and they take it and fail, well, then we become the ones that are blamed for that failure. It's best to let someone, an individual, understand these things. And this is where we see the passage that it all started with for me in Luke 2.42. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to their custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It says here that she treasured the things in her heart, although she did not understand them. That I can treasure in my heart things that you tell me are the will of God for your life. You come to me and you tell me. In fact, and I learned a long time ago, when somebody says to me, God told me, I am rendered powerless by that phrase. If you come to me and say, I believe something, I'm trying to figure something out, what do you think? Well, then I can conjecture and tell you many things, and God may even use me to tell you something. But we need to be careful with absolutes in statements. Say, I believe, 
that God is telling me. But if you come to me and say, God told me, I am not going to touch that with a 10-foot spiritual pole. I'm going to stay distance from that. I'm going to respect what you've said because it is my obligation to respect and believe that you are hearing from God because we all have that right. Now, I may open my mouth if you tell me something ridiculous and God told me to kill this man. No, no, no. Then I could say, no, God did not tell you to do that. There's times it's absolute. But as far as making choices in life about what to do and what not to do and where to go, I cannot interfere with that. That's why I'm very careful about when it's very rare that you will hear me say that God told me a very specific thing. Most recently, it was simply God told me not to take anybody with me to Mexico. But usually, that's not very common that I'll say something like that. And I know there were some people interested in perhaps going on that trip, not just in this church, but in other areas, because they had asked. But when I made that statement, nobody dared touch it. Because first of all, they feared whatever's going to happen to you uh, is going to happen. And I had dreams, actually. I was just talking um, to my wife about that this morning. I had dreams preceding that trip of accidents, of vehicle accidents, in which I died. And um, one of them was so vivid, so real, breathtaking, overwhelming dream that I was in a car. Remember the car? It was a black car. It looked like Volkswagen Jetta. And I was in the back seat, and there were people driving me. And we came upon a mountain pass. And it was nighttime, and it was dark. And whatever happened, don't know how, but the car uh, veered out of control, plowed through an embankment or a barrier at on the brow of the high hill, and I remember very distinctly the free fall of the lack of gravity as that car plunged down into an abyss. I felt it, and I was in the dream just waiting for the concussive force of the striking of ground. And I knew that in the dream, so vivid, so real, I knew that the fall was long enough to reach probably terminal velocity which at terminal velocity, when a vehicle hits solid earth in ground, I will not survive that. You understand? My brain will be sloshed to liquid. I will die. That's why everybody dies in a plane crash. They almost never live because of concussive force. I was ready for it. And just, oh, Jesus, forgive me all my sins. I had enough time to clean my heart out. That's how far. We were far. And it was black. I couldn't see anything because it was at night. Scary dream. Made me get my affairs in order before I left. Made me really make some promises to people about my love and my concerns for my family, for my friends. And as, as I was going there, this was the cool thing in the dream. Suddenly, uh, suddenly I'm standing behind that car. It's parked on the side of a road with a flat tire. And the, the rear of the car is open and it has one of those reflective triangles in an emergency. Very real. And I remember being bewildered at how did I end up here when we were in a free fall? How did that happen? And even in that dream, it was really strange because uh, police came and investigated and saw evidence that that car that we were standing behind did plunge through that barrier and did go. They saw the, the torn ground and they saw the tracks of the car, but the, the, the enigma was how did the car... It was a strange thing. It was almost like a, I had to explain that God has power over time and space. He can do whatever He wants to do. So anyway, armed with that happy little dream, I went on this trip. Every single curve on every mountain, in every bus, in every car. Okay, here we go. Every curve. I was waiting for it to happen. 
So I'm really surprised I'm here standing before you today. Amen. I'm glad that I'm here, but I was ready. I really was ready for whatever had to take place. And so God tells us things, and I don't know, maybe if you had been with me, it would have changed it. The dynamic of what God could or wouldn't do or His protection. I don't know. I'm just glad that I'm here. But that's the will of God for my life. You can't really mess with that. Just like I can't mess with the, the, the will of God for your life. Just like even the parents of Jesus could not mess with the will of the Father for Jesus. And Jesus was just on the beginning of understanding the fullness of that will. Everybody had a problem with God's will for Jesus. Everybody. His disciples, the Pharisees. Jesus is the only one that didn't have a problem with the will of the Father for his life. Everybody else was contentious concerning what God told Jesus to do. So I see that as an example to us. We will always have to fight that battle. When God tells us something and we tell people, don't expect them to be happy and cheer and clap and say, oh, that's wonderful. Expect them to be like the parents of Jesus. Expect them to be like many other people. And we need to be ready for that. And there's no way that they could have uh, understood or possibly comprehended the reasons why Jesus would do what he did to them. For Jesus, it was obvious. I mean, come on. Didn't you understand? He's, he's puzzled at why they don't understand. Because when you live in the will of the Father and you're sure that you're sure, it's that's clear to you. There's no doubt whatsoever that you're doing what God's called you to do. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was living by the Father's will. But they didn't understand. And we know that the will of the Father for each and every one of us is our own personal responsibility to discover and execute. You are held accountable by God for the discovery of that will. Don't look at me. I can give you information from the Bible, but don't look at me to tell you what God's will is for your life. You come and tell me, and I get behind that plan and support it and help you to fulfill what God is calling you to do. And, and really, we find this, this principle, you know, the purposes of the Father, each individual, are extremely different because everybody is unique. Everybody has an exact and a specific call, and that's why it's hard for me to understand the will of God for your life. Because it makes no sense to me. That doesn't fit me at all. It's like trying to wear your shoes. They don't fit me. My feet are big. You have a different size shoe. It would hurt if I tried to cram my big, big foot into your normal size shoe. They don't even sell my size shoe in this country. It's virtually impossible to find. I look all over and can't find it, but Sometimes I might be able to. It's very, 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 very rare. It's like that. It, the unique things about God's will for me and the unique things about God's will for you are distinctly your own and my own. And so we find this to especially be true in the beginning of our Christian experience. The, the response of parents not understanding, for instance, in this context. My mother did not understand. My father-in-law did not. My father-in-law and my mother-in-law threatened and said, over our dead bodies we will, let, we, will we let you take our daughter to those foreign nations where people are savage and kill one another. I, I went to war, because he, he went to the Second World War, I went to war and fought so that she could live in America and be safe, as if America is safe. But she, he, at that, that point, compared to what he had seen in the Second World War as a tail gunner and a B-29 bomber, all the things he saw, liberating concentration camps. He saw the atrocities with his own eyes. America's a dream come true. And now I'm telling you, I'm going to take your precious princess of a daughter around the world to third world countries. They, they were not happy about that at all. There's no way they could understand that. It didn't make any sense. Because it wasn't the will of God for their lives, at least 
you would consider, were they even living the will of God? Because our lives have been mapped out by ourselves and our family members, the Father's will has not been taken under consideration in most cases. It's irrelevant. They don't even know, you can say the Father's will, they don't even know what that means. As a, some type of a euphemism or vain expression, they say God's will. But they don't really mean and understand it. An act of nature is is more accurate term they may use. Well, you know, if maybe you know if God they, they joke around about it, but not you and I. You and I do not joke around about that. We take it very seriously because we know that the purpose of the Father are all that matter at the end of the day. We must fulfill those things. But everyone else will be ignorant about what the Father is really trying to tell us, and they will not understand, and we need to be prepared for that. Remember that your vision is your vision. And no one else will see it the way that you see it. And because of this, the, the execution of God's will being specifically your own, from your life's perspective, you, it will be often enigmatic to everyone around you. So don't expect them to understand. Amen? So that's the first one. Uh, we misunderstand God's will for others. Number two, we misunderstand hidden things yet to be revealed. There are things that are hidden. Jesus said that a moment ago, but look at Luke 9, 45. It literally says it, but they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. Now, this is the disciples. In Luke 18, 34, it says, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. And they did not know what he was talking about. As there's actually three times that Jesus predicts his death. And each of those times, it's funny to notice that the disciples, it's not that they didn't care to know, they simply were, something was done to them by Father to cause them not to be able to comprehend what was going to happen. It wasn't until the very end that they finally started to put two and two together. But all along that time that they were with Jesus for those three years of preparation and training, he would say it as a prophecy and they would not understand, they could not comprehend it because the Father himself hid it from their minds and from their comprehension. So I started thinking about this today because in all these cases, uh, Jesus predicts his death and this was, we know that the death of Jesus was the, the exact will and purpose of the Father for Jesus, right? We can conclude that. However, the Father decided to hide it from his disciples. So in both these instances we just read about, it was hidden from them. They could not comprehend what he's talking about. Why? Because this was to protect them from their own inability to cope with what was going to take place. I often say this, I found that the Lord will, will most frequently hide the future from us because at the current moment of our development and understanding of life in Christ, we're not capable of comprehending His plans and purposes for us. We can't handle it. And one of the reasons for this is that the fulfillment of those plans will often seem to be extremely negative, shocking, detrimental to us, life-threatening, or may even involve our demise, like in the case of Jesus. So early on in the game, it's not the first thing he exposes to you in Revelation the week that you get saved. 
and you will suffer terribly, and you know you're going to lose one eye, and your one leg is going to get cut off, and they're going to they're going to use your toes as a sacrifice to a god in a foreign land. These are things you would not want to hear in the beginning of your career. How many of you at that moment would probably decide not to pursue the will of God? Logically, I personally don't want to know the details of my future. They scare me. And I know that up to now, what I have lived and experienced in my life, if it had been revealed to me beforehand, <laughs> no, I probably would have dissuaded myself from following my master. And it would have made logical sense. Being given that, if I was given that knowledge, then I would decide, well then, if, it's, if God's showing me, it's so that he's warning me to avoid this. No, that's not why, because we see the system where Paul, in his maturity, was warned by Agabus about the suffering, but in fact he saw it as a confirmation of what he knew. Why? Because he was on that level. We're not all on that level. Especially not new believers. When I say new believers, I mean less than 25 years old in Christ. That we're not, this, there is a development, we need to learn and grow as we move along. And so therefore, in his sovereign love and concern for us, he will hide things from us. It was hidden from them. Its meaning was hidden from them. They did not know, they didn't understand. We misunderstand hidden things that are yet to be revealed. Now we will in the time come, when we are ready, when they were ready, Peter did understand, and it showed that he was not really ready even yet. Whereby he forbade Jesus and said no, because he still couldn't handle it. And that's why it was hidden from them from the beginning. Boy, I hate to scare you with this, but there's a whole lot of stuff in your future he's hiding from you right now. It's not apple pies and ice cream to make a la mode. It, it's bad stuff. That you have invited and asked him for. By making statements to this effect. Lord, whatever it takes, make me into what you want me to be. I yield to your plans. Whatever you want to do, Lord, I just want to be like you. I want to walk in your perfect will. I want to be anointed. Lord, whatever it takes, I pray that I would have the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing in God's sight. <laughs> yeah, really? Okay. Give us this place to sit at the, at the right and the left of you, ignorantly we ask. And he's like, yeah, you think you can drink from the cup that I drink from? Yes, they, they did not know what they were talking about. I think he laughed at them that day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You might be able to. I don't know. You may be able to. But it's not mine to give you in the first place. It's in the Father's purview of the decisions about those things. So anyway, I think Jesus was often entertained by the simplicity of his disciples. Not unlike we're not, like, not unlike the fact that we are entertained by young children, even little babies and watching the way they grow and learn and they just don't know and don't understand and I love watching my grandchildren I like watching my children grow and it's just cute I think that's how the father sees most of the time that we are reacting the way that we do the things number three we misunderstand eternal connection John 8 21 once more Jesus said to them I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin where I go you cannot come this made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? 
But he continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. Even as He spoke, many believed in Him. Now here we see that Jesus, of course, is talking about a connection to eternity and the connections that Jesus had to eternity and His understanding of that eternal position they, they were something that would be found very difficult for the people around him to comprehend. There's no way you can grasp that. And the religious leaders of his day, these guys that are in the context of this passage, uh, those who were supposed to be enlightened and having spiritual understanding, they were totally oblivious to what he's talking about. They didn't get it. And I find this to be true in Christian life too, that our acceptance and understanding of our relationship with eternity versus time is something that only comes over a long period of time. And what I, I try, I have people, I have young disciples that ask me to help them understand eternity. I was just recently asked by a young disciple to explain to me eternity, and I'm trying to explain it and explain it and explain it, and it's just not, it's not going in. It can't be, it can't be, because the eternity, to understand or to try to know what he can really understand it. Really, my understanding of eternity is that I can't understand it. But yet I found that in my pursuit of, 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 of a, at least trying to understand it is in fact the, the greatest catalyst of my intimacy with the Spirit of God. Really put, I know because I found out before I even got saved at the age of 12 just conjecturing about it. And that's when he came in. I drew his attention before I was even saved. He came to shut me up because I was wandering into his territory. And he spoke to me. I was sharing that story with a congregation in Mexico, and up to that point, the message was kind of boring, and people were just listening, and I started talking about that moment when he came, and guess who showed up in the meeting right there in Mexico? The master of the universe. Suddenly, everybody had that uh-oh look on their face. Uh-oh. God filled the air. Why? Because there's something about trying to comprehend eternity that causes his spirit to manifest. We, we... We transition, there, there I feel it, we transition over into another place that's not this place because we long for a city that's not built with human hands, but for an abode that is eternal, that is our place. That eternal connection is so hard for people to understand. And, and we need to try. If, if someone has not been sufficiently prepared with an eternal mentality and perspective, they will not find it very easy to understand the eternal connection. It takes time. It takes training and time and an effort to continue to seek and suddenly it starts making more and more sense. And so really it's our obligation to set our affections and our heart on things above, is it not? We need to decide, okay, I'm going to keep my focus. Uh, I, we must continually keep our eyes on the prize of eternity. When we do this, our motive for the choices that we make in life, or the motivation that affects our choices, 
is drastically affected by this perspective. Do everything from an internal perspective. If you do anything from a temporal perspective, you are missing God's purposes for your life. Every choice you make be based upon what does this mean to eternity? How does this decision that I'm going to make right now affect my eternal standing? If it has virtually no perceivable effect to me, well then no problem, do what you please. But if it does hold some weight, then you be very careful about the choices that you make. But those who do not share that timeless perspective, they're not going to understand. Always remember to keep an eternal perspective. Number four, we misunderstand spiritual words. John 10, 6, Jesus used this figure of speech. But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now, Jesus was using figures of speech. I quote this only because the figure of speech meant all of his parables and all the stories that he said early here, and they will not. They will not understand. They're not going to grasp it. They're not going to comprehend it. But Jesus used figures of speech because they were spiritual contexts. And he said, if, I, if you don't understand what I'm telling you in using earthly terms, how will you possibly understand if I use heavenly terms with you? Because they were puzzled about him using these analogies. And he said, I can't tell it to you plainly. Only in the very end do we see Jesus speaking pretty plainly about his eternal status, who he was, and using not just spiritual words to cover in the sense of an analogy, but actually telling. And the disciples were finally, finally, now you're telling us plainly. After three and a half years, the very end. Because they were starting to get it. But we misunderstand often the spiritual words of God. The greatest example of that I found is John 6, 43. I'm going to read quite a bit here. It says, Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, yet they died. But there or here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where He was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. 
The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus said, none from the beginning, which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many of his disciples, by the way, not just the crowd, the people who were formerly dedicated to him. Because one thing I found about God and his kingdom is there will be an amassing of people. Big groups will come. And they may be there for a while, but God will filter it out. God will always reduce the pile of people to the remnant. And I always want to be a part of that remnant, but it's not going to be easy. And you have to develop the ability to accept things you don't understand and live them anyway to be able to fit into that group of the remnant. Many of his disciples are no longer found. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And we know that Jesus purposely spoke very difficult words to these people and presented to the hearers this very strange cannibalistic conjecture on purpose. In fact, he was kind of keeping it shallow until they challenged it. What is he really? And he kicked it up another notch. No, it's real. He pushed it even further to purposely filter out those people. Because he's expecting us in a realm of maturity to continue to grow and grasp spiritual words in maturity. The spiritual words that he spoke were so hard to understand and so intensely offensive when when taking or uh, when listening from him or from the wrong perspective in time that the people were not able. They couldn't do it. They couldn't follow him. So many of the followers of Christ decided to no longer follow because of those words. I have preached messages that have caused people to be unhappy. Pretty often. Pretty much every message. But it's because God is empowering me. Because I speak by the Spirit. These messages, I don't just sit in my house and invent things. You know, when God comes, He comes seriously. And often I am, I, I have the pen in my hand if it would, would be jotting down the dictates of the Master. This kind of message, I, do, I just literally just came straight out. He just spoke all this to me. I'm giving you what He told me. But this is, these are offensive things sometimes. Our earthly and finite minds are going to be challenged. So at these moments, we'll have to decide that a complete understanding of what has been said is not necessary as a criteria for us to continue to follow Christ. Don't tell me that Peter understood what he was talking about. Peter had no clue whatsoever. Peter's thinking, I guess if i got to eat you, man, all right, whatever. I don't like the taste of blood, but I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. He was willing that it may have been the fact that he had to cannibalize his master. He's like, okay, I'll see. I just, I just know that I don't have any other choice. You get that desperate, and God smiles. Finally, I got somebody that's going to follow me. He won't stop you until you're actually sinking your teeth into his arm. No, no, it's spiritual. Okay, get your spit off of me. Not unlike... Abraham with the knife coming down on his son as an offering, Isaac. No! Wait, 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 wait. Abraham, Abraham, wait. No, 
because he's testing us. He's looking at us. He's growing us. He's developing us. Amen? Number five, we misunderstand the purpose of suffering. This is a big one. John 12, 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Only after Jesus was glorified. That means resurrection and ascension. John is speaking many years later after the fact, talking about the fact that only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that the things that were written, the prophecies, the messianic prophecies were in fact fulfilled up to that time. They didn't know. Mark 9.32 says they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and they were afraid to ask him about it. So Jesus said long ago, and had prepared them long ago. He accepted, Jesus accepted the fact that he had to suffer on the cross and die for humanity. He knew that early in the game. But as we saw earlier, uh, that little detail was hidden until the time would come that was the right time. And there was no way that the disciples could have, have a complete understanding of the need for this kind of suffering as a legitimate sacrifice for man. Although he tried to teach them and tell them they lacked the understanding of the purpose of this suffering. It was only after the resurrection of Jesus that they finally understood. So this is true in life for much of the suffering that we will go through. Right now, some of you are suffering. Right now, some of you are going through anxious and difficult moments in life. Trials are pushing you to your limits. And all you want to know is, what is why? Why, is, why am I going through this? Why am I suffering this way? And it just seems like God is mute about this. He's not explaining it to you. We cannot comprehend the reasons why we're suffering at times until the process of reformation and transformation through suffering has been completed and it finishes its task. And this is one of the hardest pills for us to swallow in Christendom, in our life in Christ. Can we accept the cross this way? It's only with hindsight that we understand finally why we have to go through the hard things that we go through. But while we are under the weight of the difficulties, it is very difficult for us to comprehend that, so we are tempted to throw off the process. But don't. Well, I just need to understand why. If I, if I understood why I'm having to go through this, then I would be able to endure it. Well, no, you don't always get that explanation. You just need to bear under. You need to deal with it. Trust. The Bible's full of words encouraging us to endure suffering. The Word of God tells us that we have to follow that suffering. We have to allow it to be a part of our life for us to be perfect. Let patience have her perfect work that you can be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And this is perhaps the hardest lesson in carrying the cross. So once again, we have to protect ourselves from the deception that tells us that we do somehow deserve to have an understanding of why we're being tormented. No, it's just the process. Think of yourself as a dirty pair of blue jeans in a washing machine being agitated. 
Those blue jeans have no idea why they're being battered and beaten and drowned and chemically covered and they're just, ah, ah, Sometimes God just puts us in the washing machine. He's working us over and, you know, ultimately we're going to be dried and clean and fresh and we're going to come out of it unscathed. In fact, all the better for it if we just yield. Often the trials that we go through and the sufferings that we endure will not make any sense to us at all. And it may be that we even die after. We may, we may live our whole lives and die never having understood why we went through what we went through until we actually get to heaven. And I'm okay with that. I made peace with that years ago. Accepting this reality is what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Just accept it. Number six. We misunderstand the meaning of Scripture. Yeah, this is frequent. John 28, finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed, they still didn't understand from Scripture, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. In other words, they didn't have any revelation about all of the Old Testament. All of the Messianic prophecies, they didn't have a clue. Jesus was a walking Old Testament. I mean, he was, that's all he spoke was the word, taught them for three and a half years, they still don't get it. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now like this, this is good news, Luke 24, 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When He had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, He lifted up His hands and blessed them. While He was blessing them, He left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. And we know ten days later uh, the Holy Spirit came. So, but when we think about this, for the entire time the disciples of Jesus were with him, uh, during the earthly training that they were, they lacked an understanding of scriptures. They just didn't know it. There are people who try to understand the Bible, and honestly, I've been reading the Bible for more than 30 years, studying it with my whole heart, searching for understanding. There are vast portions of it I do not get at all, and I cannot quite comprehend. But guess what? I read it anyway. I just keep reading it and keep reading it and keep reading it because I know that eventually something's going to click when the time is right. And really, with all that I've done and have invested into my studies of the Bible, I, I often lack the clear understanding of many portions of Scripture. My hope rests in the fact that my Heavenly Father incrementally and progressively will open my mind so that I can understand more and more of these passages. And the fact is, it's true. Every message, every message I preach, something new comes I didn't see. Very exciting. It's also why I love doing this as my vocation in life, teaching the Word of God, because I, He has to reveal to me to reveal to you. So I get to see things. To me, He's given the secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom, and He unlocks passages that were heretofore locked up tight, certainly to me, sometimes to many others. 
Often I preach things and even seasoned veterans in the faith, teachers and professors of the Bible, come and tell me I've never thought of it that way. That's really a good revelation. I've gotten a lot of compliments about revelation, which is kind of like thinking the sun for shining. I mean, it's not really, it's just it's nature. If you're subject to the Spirit, revelation comes to you. You're not doing it. You can't take credit for it. But it is a process, and for a long time, we don't, a lot of people stop reading the Bible because I'm just not understanding what I'm reading. Well, that doesn't mean you shouldn't read it. And there are people who stop reading the Bible for that reason. And that's why I tell them again and again, look, just keep reading it. Just keep reading it. You'll get it. You'll get it eventually. Well, I lifted the weights five or six times. My muscles are the same size. Well, you've got to keep doing it. For years, just keep doing it. Eventually, you will you will amass muscle tissue. You will get buff. If you want to get buff, you have to keep lifting. You have to keep training. Keep developing yourself. It's like going on a diet, and after three days, you're disgusted because you didn't lose that much weight. This is a process. It's the same with the Word of God. I'm so grateful. In fact, the enlightenment that I receive concerning the passages comes to me at times when I most need it. And God speaks to me. His word is, that's why we call it a living word. It is alive and it will decide when it wants to show itself to you. And you can read that same passage again and again and again and again and again. And that's why when I come across passages that I have no comprehension of whatsoever, I'm excited. Because I just look at it and smile. I'm going to get you one day. <laughs> You just wait right there. Heaven and earth will pass away, but you're not going anywhere. I'm going to come find you. When the time is right, you can be mine. I'm going to get you inside and out. I'm going to boom you, Scripture. And it's true. Later on in life, he comes. Let's finish this message. I know I'm, I'm sharing a lot. Just he was speaking to me so richly today. Number seven, we misunderstand the way each person hear God, hears God's voice. Acts 22.6 about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. My companions saw the light but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to him. Was he speaking a different language? No. Paul had companions. They spoke the same language. They were together. God wasn't speaking in some encrypted language. He just was speaking to Paul in the way that he spoke to Paul. And the companions could not understand it because this is the principle that I'm talking about. What shall I do, Lord? Verse 10, I asked. Get up the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. They weren't blind. That's why they could lead him. Didn't have the same effect on them. He's blinded. He heard it. They didn't hear it. They knew something happened, but they didn't comprehend it. My own wife, in the vehicle, April 7th, 845, 1995, when the glory of God absolutely consumed me and blinded me for 45 minutes, felt virtually nothing. I don't ever share that part of the story. 
She was getting kind of bored. Trying to figure out, when is he going to stop convulsing like this? Later she told me, I, I, I thought I was going to take you to the hospital or something. She was not having an encounter with God. Why? Because the way that God speaks to every individual is very unique and specific for that individual. You also know from my testimony when he revealed himself to me in, in that room, I tried to get my wife to come. And he wouldn't even let my sound of my voice reach her, let alone what he was telling me. Interesting, isn't it? Why? Because it wasn't her business. It was my business. And whatever he tells her is not my business, that's her business. And this is sometimes what we misunderstand, the way each person here hears God's voice. So Jesus spoke to the Apostle Paul on the road with great clarity. But Paul certainly understood exactly what was told to him. He spoke to him to inform him of the job that he had to do, this special job as a chosen vessel and instrument. And this was his call to the ministry that took place. And this was God's voice manifested to him to guide him to his future. However, his companions did not understand the voice that was speaking. So each and every individual, you and me, in our relationship with Jesus will perceive the voice of God in different ways. How I hear God's voice will not necessarily be the same way that you hear God's voice. And so it's kind of dangerous to decide the way that God spoke to Stephen is the way he must speak to me. You can't do that. He'll speak to you differently. One thing I know about God is he never does the same thing twice. Certainly not in my life. Why would he then do it in your life after he did it in my life? Look at the stories in the Bible. How did he appear to man? It is, it is every time it's different. Something different. He's come as torches floating, as balls of light, burning bushes. I mean, every time he comes, it's a different thing. A wheel within a wheel. I mean, every story is some freakishly different thing. Fiery chariots coming down. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen. This just doesn't seem to be a repetition of God's voice and how he speaks and the way that he exposes his will and his purpose to each individual. And so just be ready for whatever he says and understand that you will not understand the way that he speaks to someone else. Just seek him. He'll come to you. I do not understand how God will speak to you. I, don't, I couldn't possibly tell you. I can give you some hints and some ideas. I can speak from my experience. But my experience may prove to be absolutely worthless to you. Because you have to find him. You have to seek him. And when he does speak to you, I don't understand the way that he speaks to you. you come, I have people come to me all the time and tell me how God was revealing something to them. And inside my head I'm thinking, that's just freaky. That's weird. I don't dare tell them that because it's not my business. That's between them and they'll come and say, and I saw, you know, a blue rainbow. I saw a mist and the mist carried me to the fourth level of the triad pyramid and then I was given a golden cup and in the cup were marbles made of stars and I'm like, what the? You need to stop taking drugs. I don't say that. It just makes no sense to me. But that person's crying while they're telling me about all that the Lord has shown them because God's words to you will come out the way that they come to you. When he does speak to you, and I don't understand it, you come and you get mad because you want me to understand and get what he told you. Look, that doesn't mean, that doesn't negate the fact that you're required to obey that voice. Do exactly what God told you to do. That's why I just keep my mouth shut about those things. 
Once again, like I started saying earlier, you come to me and say, God told me. Great. I bow to that. God told you, amen. Thank you, Jesus. These are the things we saw. I'm done now. Lack of understanding. Seven areas of common misunderstanding. That one is God's will for others. It's hard to get that. Number two, hidden things yet to be revealed. And there's good reasons why they're hidden. Don't try to uncover what he's not ready to uncover. I don't want to know my future. There's been a couple of times he's revealed it to me because I begged him and begged him and begged him immediately after I repented. And said, show me no more. First time he really showed me the future, it was so scary. I asked him to take it away. And he did. He washed my mind. I know he showed me things, but I don't have remembrance of them. I see like a, in a haze, I can kind of see what some of the things he showed me, but I don't want to see them. Too scary. Eternal connection. I, I, you're not always going to understand that eternal connection, but you have to try to and continue to learn and focus on it. Spiritual words, like they didn't, many did not understand, and even the twelve didn't understand, but you just accept it. Just accept it. It's like the Word of God. Just keep reading it. The meaning of Scripture, that's number six. But number five, the purpose of suffering. And when you're, in, when you're on the cross, it doesn't all, we don't always understand why. But just trust it. And number seven, uh, the way each person hears God's voice. Amen? Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.